Today's reading is from Exodus 33, verse 1 to 23. I was struck by those words, this very thing you have asked, I will do. And the people of the earth will know that you have found favor with me. And that is the word of the Lord. So we have set this Sunday aside for as a vision casting or a vision sharing Sunday for all three congregations, which is here in Greenfield, in Beacon Bay, and in Glen Eden. Our hope or and our aim for this Sunday is to invite every one of our members, every one of our visitors, and those who are checking us out, who are not yet sure if we are their home spiritually, we want to invite you on board to come along with us to see what we trust in God for in this year. You see, the vision gives one a sense of direction. It gives one a sense of confidence that there is something I am living in pursuit of. There is something that I'm trusting God for. And therefore, I'm confident in God that it will come through. So our vision is captured in two words. And the words are deep and wide. So what I'm going to do this morning is to try and delve in into those two words. What do we mean by deep and wide? And then move from explaining what do we mean about deep and wide to the practical realization of our vision, the practical realization of our hope and what we trust God for this year. So let's begin. What do we mean by saying deep? As I've said, it's two words. So our hope for this year is that we will be a people who are open to God. That as a church in everyday people, in all three congregations, we will be a people who allow God, or who allows God through his Holy Spirit to do deep work in us. And I hope you have spotted the emphasis, that the emphasis is God through his Holy Spirit. Because that is the only way God can work in us. That is the only way God can do deep work in us. It is through his Holy Spirit. And I do want to labor that point as we try to understand what do we mean by deep. My prayer is that we will be a people who are alert and alive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Globally, the church falls within two extremes. It either abuses the work and the person of the Holy Spirit or completely neglects the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. In the church today, we have so many things that don't look right 
and often they are ascribed and credited to the Holy Spirit. I did it because the Holy Spirit told me to. That's the abuse. But also we have other people reacting to that extreme of the abuse. Who thought to themselves, they're not going to recognize the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. They're going to do it on their own. But the right approach is that we need to correctly appropriate the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to correctly appropriate who and what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus, as he was about to leave his disciples, as he was about to go to the cross in the Gospel of John, he realized that his disciples were troubled in heart by his departure from them. And so he said a lot of things to comfort them. But one thing that he said quite firmly and strongly was he promised them the coming of the Spirit as a way to assure them that though he leaves them, but he is not entirely leaving them. He says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. That's a powerful promise. I will not leave you as orphans. Yet, yes, I will be away from you for a moment, but you will not be alone. Because I will still be with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then later on he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So Jesus gives us, or as he explained the Spirit to them, he gives us a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, as he tells us too, that he is the ever-present helper. He will be with you forever. He's ever-present. But secondly, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is a mark of true discipleship. It is a mark that you are my followers. Because he tells them that the world cannot receive him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's a sign that you belong to Jesus. That's what he tells them. And that's what he tells us as well. And third, he tells us that he is the indwelling comforter. He dwells with you. And he will be in you forever. So surely then, God does his deep work in us through and only through the Holy Spirit. And so our role in order for God to do that deep work in us is to be open to God and his spirit and is to allow him to do his work. And briefly, I want to take you through as I 
hope this will give you a biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit, which will help us avoid those two extremes. How does God, through his Spirit, do this deep work in us? Well, the first thing that the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ for salvation. Paul tells us that no one can talk and say God or Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And that's a comfort to you and I that if you are here this morning praying for a family member that at some point in his life he or she will come to the knowledge of God. He will embrace Jesus as his Lord and Savior. You are to ask God to work in his heart. So the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. The reason why I'm able to know and have a sense of what's wrong and right, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new life. He sanctifies us. If we have come to Christ already, he continues to work in us by sanctifying us. Paul, in the letter to Galatians, he says, the Holy Spirit participates in our sanctification. That is making us more like Christ. He guides us so we can live according to God's word. And he empowers us to fight the desires of flesh. The Holy Spirit continue to make us holy and be like Christ. He intercedes for us in prayer. Paul tells us sometimes we don't know how to pray. And at times we know what we need to pray for. But because we feel overwhelmed either by sense of burden and pain, to so much that we are unable to express and articulate what it is that we're asking God to help us through. As we sit there on our knees with our eyes closed, closed like Hannah, but unable to articulate with our mouths, the Holy Spirit takes that burden from our hearts and he brings it to God. Paul tells us that he groans for us on our behalf. In other words, he weeps on our behalf. As he intercedes for us, he brings God the Father even closer to us. We can have an intimate relationship because the Holy Spirit is able to bring whatever it is to God. He guides us. He instructs us. He reminds us the word of God. And every one of us here will never outgrow the need to be guided by God. We will never outgrow the need to be instructed by God. And he gives us the spiritual gifts. But he makes us as well to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all nine of those fruits 
We can only have them if the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God is at work in us. So as I summarize, I want to read this quote from J.I. Pecker. He says, but is the, Holy, is the work of the Holy Spirit really important? He's asking a question. Important, he repeats it. Why is not for the work of the Holy Spirit there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity in the world at all? If it was not for the work of the Holy Spirit, none of those would be existing. You and I wouldn't be calling ourselves Christ followers. So we are to be a people who are open to the whispers and guiding of the Holy Spirit. If we are going to be able to see God doing the deep work in us. Now we move to the second dimension of this vision, the second layer of our vision. The first one focuses on us allowing God doing his deep work in us. But the second one helps us to lift up our eyes and look beyond ourselves and realize that the church exists not in a vacuum or in isolation, but the church exists in a context. It exists in a world. And so the church doesn't exist for itself, but it exists to be the light and the salt of the earth. We are to be the light because there is darkness all around us. We are to be the salt because there is rot in the world. And you've heard me say this quote many times from John Stott who said, you can't blame the meat for going rotten. You blame the salt for not doing its work. In other words, the meat will go rotten if it's not in the refrigerator. But if you have the salt, which is you and I, we present prevent and preserve the meat from going rot. So the church exists in a context and that context is the context of the world all around us. I hope what I'm telling you, I'm echoing what you already know about the world. But for me, the world is desperately in need of hope. I hope I'm not the only one who have made that observation. The world is in desperate need for compass, for direction. It is in need of compass that will point it in a direction. Each day, the world is showing signs more and more of being broken. And each day, the world is showing real signs of deep brokenness. And we see this in these signs that we see every day in our lives. Anger is one of the signs that is part of our world. One of the chapters in my book is called South Africa, 
an angry nation. We are an angry nation. But we are an angry world. It's easy for us to switch from the most happy mood to the most angry, even violent mood. We are an angry society. Confusion. There are so many competing voices that claims authority about what is right. You go back in the book of Isaiah, in the first section of the Isaiah, where there was moral confusion, where people called darkness light, and they called evil good. And they were able to substitute Yahweh, God, the God of the Bible, with other gods. And that reality of Isaiah, the first section of Isaiah, is our reality today. There is so much moral confusion. Even a a trauma at times, the world is showing the signs of trauma. What about the high levels of anxiety? The world is in search for purpose, for meaning, and for fulfillment. I'm sure you also will say, see, I'm also in search for purpose, for meaning, and for fulfillment, especially at the beginning of the year. These are the things that we're all grasping for, wrestling with. Will I be able to avoid certain things that have happened in my life? Is there meaning in my life? You know what I want to say to you? If you are here wrestling with that, you are not in the wrong place. You are in the good company. You are in the company of the people of God who also wrestling with that. And But what I want to say, the point of departure in answering that question is not yourself. If you want to find answer that, to that question, you are not going, you're not going to find answer by digging deep in yourself. But it is by recognizing the one who has made you. It's when you recognize that I am in this world because God allowed me to be in this world. It's by recognizing the one who has made you. Remember that you have made by God and for God. The way in which you are going to be able to answer those questions. What am I here for? And who am I? It's when you turn to your maker and you ask him, what has he made you for? Because he's the only one who knows you. Now, I've painted that picture of the reality around us in order to trigger in you a sense of urgency. This picture that I've just painted about the world around us, it requires an urgent Christian response. Because Christians are the people of hope. They are the people who are called by Jesus as I've already said, to be the light and the salt of the earth. One of the descriptions of the church is that it is a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. I love those words. 
That's the description of any child of God. You are a city that is standing on a hill. When people look on that hill, on top of it, they see the church of God, which is there to point the direction. But it seems to me there is no ways that we can respond to this desperate situation in which the world finds itself. If we ourselves are not spiritually capacitated, it is therefore no wonder that our vision begins by us allowing God doing a deep work in us. You see, because when we allow God to do a deep work in us, we are building a spiritual capacity in order to be able to absorb and respond to the issues around us. When we allow God to do this deep work in us, we are like somebody who wakes up every morning and put on his running shoes and go on the road and run. We are like somebody who goes, who wakes up in the morning and go in the gym. Us too, when we allow God to do his deep work in us, we are exercising our spiritual muscles. We are building our spiritual capacity so that we can respond. We allow God to do his deep work in us so that he can do his mighty work through us. Do you believe God still perform mighty works? If you do, it's going to be seen in the manner in which you are seeking God for yourself. Because as you seek God, you are saying, God, I want to be an instrument in your hand. I want you to transform the world using me. Paul describes us as broken vessels. In other words, we don't come to God because we are perfect. God doesn't use us because we are perfect and faultless. But God uses us because we avail ourselves to him. Maybe this year God is not looking for somebody of incredible abilities, but rather God is looking for somebody who avails himself to him. Somebody who says, I bring my little contribution. Will you use it, Lord? Here I am, three loaves and five fishes, and I'm placing them in your hands. Will you use them to feed the multitudes? Will you use them to transform and heal the broken world? One of my aims this morning, especially now as I wrap up, is to be practical, is to help us to have practical tools. How do we do this deep and wide thing? It rather sounds strange even. But how do we do it? Firstly, we are called, maybe for some of you, it's going to require you moving out of your comfort zone. And I want to say that again. If you're going to respond to the world around us, that is going to require you 
saying, Lord, I'm moving out of my comfort zone. I am happy to and willing. We are to be fully alive in God. We are to be in full stretch for the Lord. And that is what we, read, we find when we read the Gospels. That every Christian is called to follow Jesus. But also is called to tell others about Jesus. Oskinis says, when, Jesus, when God calls us in Jesus, follow me. Everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is given a direction and a dynamic. Because, it's, because now it's done as unto him. When we respond, everything we have, Everything we are, we don't change and be other people. And everything we have is now given a direction. So we are called to know Jesus and know the Father. And that is the primary calling in everyone's life. To have fellowship and intimacy with God. We are called not to learn hundred doctrines, but rather to live the way of Christ. We are called to be in the company of Jesus, to be like Jesus. So as I conclude, we read this morning Exodus 33. And there is a story to how I came to that chapter. I think it was two days before we say Goodbye to 2022 and welcome 2023. And I woke up. I couldn't go to bed. And I knew that I need to get up. And the first thing I want to do is to pray. But I just didn't know how to pray. I thought if I find a portion of scripture and read, it will trigger me to know how to pray. But still I didn't know where to go in my reading. And as I was lying there thinking, okay, I have a context which helps me to know how to pray. In two days' time is the end of the year. How am I to think about the new year? What are the anxieties I have for 2023? What are the hopes I have for 2023? And that led me to this chapter. I was led to this chapter for selfish reasons. Because I wanted something that will anchor me and secure my insecurities. Because there I remember the words of Moses as he was interceding for the people. He says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. If God, you are not coming with us, we are not leaving this place. That was Moses. If you think he was a little less, rever uh, little less rever revering 
You're not wrong. Read chapter 32, chapter 33, and chapter 34 of Exodus. You will see how Moses is actually wrestling and quarreling with God. How he answers God back and argued with God, taking the scripture back to God. And that was something the Jewish people did. To argue with God, to quarrel with God, to wrestle with God. In fact, the name Israel means the one who wrestled with God and persevered. And in this chapter, that's what we see. But I read that morning, I find myself reading three chapters which helped me get the context of what was happening in chapter 33. And I left that chapter that morning with this sentence, whether it makes a right English or English sentence, Practical spiritual virtues. That's what this chapter we've read has for us. It gives us practical spiritual virtues. Things that we need to practice and do them again and again. The first one is the practice of the presence of God. We see Moses cultivating intimacy with God. The second one, we find rest. God promises Moses that he will find rest in his presence. I will go with you. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But third, knowing God means we are gaining wisdom. He says, teach me your ways so that I may know you. So, one of the ways in which we activate intimacy with God is personal devotion. A people, like I said, wake up in the morning and run to exercise their spiritual muscles. Do you have a personal devotion? Do you strive to keep a particular spiritual discipline? That's the only way you're going to allow God to do deep work in you. And I brought this morning two books that I've been using for my devotion for many years. They're both based on Psalms. This one is written by Tim Keller. It's called The Songs of Jesus. And each day he takes a psalm, he gives a commentary to it, and then he ends it by prayer, a portion of a psalm. This one is, rare, is written by Dane of Oldland, also based on Psalms. In the Lord I take refuge. But I find a new devotion this year which made me to put these books away and explore this. And we thought we would like to share that devotion with you. It's called Lectio 365. In the mornings I drive from Kids Beach, taking the children to school. It has been a place where I find where I'm being centered and able to focus on the day. So that's the way in which we will allow God to do deep work. But also the way we are going to look wider than ourselves will start here by strengthening the ministries of our church. At the back there we have Dunks and Judah Judah is helping at the LED, learning from his father, 
And thanks for that, Dunks, because there is a gap in that ministry. There is a gap in our Sunday school and the entire children's ministry. We need people to help us to step in. We, we have a gap as well in our coffee and tea. But thanks to AB, who has le- uh, lifted her hand and said, I'm happy to help. But she's going to need volunteers around her to help her do things. So we need to strengthen our church so that from this church we are able to reach the world around us. Let's be quiet for a moment. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And all the people of the earth will know that you are mine. Lord Jesus, we take comfort to those words. That as we launch into this year, as you were with us, you will be with us. For we are told that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. As we now going to remember you by eating and drinking, we ask you not only we remember you as we partake, but our partaking, Lord, will remind us throughout this week of what you've done for us on the cross. Amen.